This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. How much is the presence of God worth to you? If you had to value it in gold, how much would the manifest presence of God cost you? Well, on today's podcast, we'll consider how much it costs the Israelites, and we'll see what God requires of you in exchange for His presence and why it's worth every penny. We're reading Exodus chapter 25 today. I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, and goat hair, ram's skins, dyed red and fine leather, leather acacia wood, oil for the light, Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. Exodus 25 records for us God's instructions for the tabernacle furniture. The tabernacle would be the place where God would reside with his people. Now this is a significant development because it is an integral part of God's plan for humanity. You see, God had always intended to be with his creation. This was what the Garden of Eden was for. It was a place where God could meet and spend time with his unique creation. But sin wrecked all of that. And because of our sinfulness, our fellowship with our creator was divided. God will not live in the presence of sin. His holiness will not allow it. Mankind's sinful desires kept God separated from the people that he had created for his own glory. That division between God and mankind would eventually terminate in eternal separation, which is death. Because of sin, man's sinful choices means that he is eternally separated from God in death. If Jesus is eternal life, then separation from Jesus is by definition. But God would not let the divide between humanity and divinity stand forever. He would work through the course of the one story to foreshadow his coming that would eventually span the divide and restore fellowship with God through his sacrifice on the cross. All of this imagery is present from the very beginning in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's place of residence in the center of his people. It was, in essence, his throne room where he dwelt with and spoke to his covenant people that he brought out by his own power and called by his own name. They were his special possession that he had redeemed through the blood on the doorpost and the passing through the waters. 
He had brought them to this mountain where they had witnessed the sheer tremendous power of his presence. Now this presence would reside amid the camp with his own private throne room where he could be with his people. The throne of his presence was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that rests on top. It was here that God tells us that he would meet with his people. Interesting that God chooses to meet with them. No wonder this throne is called the mercy seat, for it is only of the Lord's mercies that these sinful people had not been wholly obliterated for their ungrateful complaining and disbelief. Yet God in his mercy would choose to reside with his people, even if it meant in a momentarily divided capacity. This was better than letting them spiral out of fellowship with him and into the annihilation that their sins so rightly deserved. The people were to make the furniture of the tabernacle with minute precision to God's instruction. Now we learn why later in the study of the tabernacle, but for now we know that each piece is laden with pure gold. The worth of such gold must have been insurmountable. Where did a band of fugitive slaves acquire so much gold? The answer was from the redemption that they had received from the Lord. Remember, the Israelites spoiled the wealthy land of Egypt on their way out of town. Even the gold that they brought in their sacrifice already belonged to the God of their redemption. God had provided it for them in rescue. And what God provided for them in rescue, he would require in sacrifice. The gold belonged to him, and yet he entrusted it to them and instructed them to return a portion of it to fit his house of dwelling. The furniture itself was essential for us to understand. There was a table with what was called the bread of God's presence. This was to lay continually before the Lord to remind the people that God is the one providing for their needs, as if the manna every morning was not enough of a reminder. Remember, he was raining bread on them every morning at dawn. Then there was to be the lampstand that continually shined the light on the table of showbread. This was to remind the people that he was the cloud by day and the fire by night that constantly shed light on their path and continually provided for their needs. He was to be the light that illuminated his provision for the people in the bread. Now, there's a lot of beautiful application here for us. First of all, we need to realize that whatever God requires of us in sacrifice, he has already provided for us in redemption. Don't get the idea that God is unfair or unjust in asking that you give back to him what is rightfully his. He's the God that redeemed us. And if God requires our time, He's the one who gives us breath, and therefore, he has the right to ask as much of it as we can offer him. If God requires our resources, it is his prerogative to do so, seeing how he is the one who meets our needs and provides us with the wealth that we acquire and the health to acquire the wealth. All of it is his, and we should willingly give anything to him for his presence. The very fact that everything was overladen with gold speaks of the worth and value of God's presence among his people. There is nothing in this world so expensive that we should not be willing to surrender at a moment's notice for the price of God's abiding presence with us. Nothing should be more valuable to us than that. 
For it is of the Lord's mercy that he even wants to be with this people rather than wiping us off of the face of the earth for our sinful desires. God just could just have easily chosen to be separated from us. Yet he longed to be with his people, that he was willing to make any sacrifice necessary to achieve that fellowship. Surely, if God did this, nothing would be worth more to us than the presence of God that so richly redeemed us at such an incalculable price. In Jesus' death, we see the references made here to the tabernacle. And if God was willing to sacrifice his most prized possession, his own son, for the opportunity to have fellowship with us, how can we even conceive of not giving everything we own or possess to him? In Jesus' death, we see the references made to the tabernacle. Remember, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He was the ultimate fulfillment of our most basic need of salvation. God is the one who provides for us our needs, most especially our most pressing need, the terminal cancer of sin to be alleviated so that uh, we are not threatened to be forever separated from the God that so longs to fellowship with us. He is also the light of the world. This light illuminates our vision. As C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Jesus as I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. God's light was the light of men, John 1 says, and Jesus came to be the light by which provision to salvation would be made. Only through Jesus would we find our way in the darkness to the fellowship offered to us in God through Jesus Christ. He is the bread of the presence broken for us. He is the light of the world illuminating the way of salvation. The access granted through the curtain into the very presence of God, whereby we experience his divine mercy upon our sin and enter into fellowship with him. So Jesus, thank you for the tabernacle that so reminds us of you. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you that you did not leave us divided from your presence. And though our sins separated us, you made a way through Jesus, the everlasting bread and the eternal life to make fellowship possible again. I'm reminded of the song as we close today that Georgia sings here in our church. It just says, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you had me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul, and for the first time, I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. 
While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.